Hey friends, welcome back to the show. I don't know if you've been paying much attention to global markets, but it's kind of hard to avoid the impression that a recession is here or that a recession is coming. If you watch the headlines at all, you'll notice Amazon laid off 18,000 people a couple of weeks ago. BlackRock and Goldman are laying off people. And what happens shortly after that is that the legal work dries up and law firms start laying off people. So having graduated law school in 2008 into the teeth of the Great Recession, I thought I would do a show about the three things I would do if I were an associate or young partner even today trying to protect myself from what appears to be the next recession. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. Hey, so if it's your first time here and a friend or a family member shared this with you, let me tell you a little bit about who I am and why I think you should listen to me. My name is Brian Glass. I'm a personal injury lawyer in Virginia. And like I said, I graduated in 2008 from law school into the teeth of the what's now called the Great Recession. Uh, and at the time, nobody knew how deep or how long it was going to be. But I went to law school at a time when everybody was promised a big-ass salary and almost nobody got it on the other end. Um, I went to work for a personal injury firm in 2008 and in 2013 or so, I stopped negotiating pay raises for myself because I found out that there was a better way for me to get paid. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. The upshot of that is over the next couple of years, I'd found a way to triple my salary through bonuses and get paid far more than any law firm was ever going to pay me as a salary for a personal injury firm that's not billing by the hour and not working really in any given week any more than 40 hours a week. Uh, in 2019, I took a pay cut to work for my dad's firm and take over the injury section, which at the time was an underperforming section. Since that time, I've grown the in injury section by four times in four years, and we just set a goal to grow it another three times in the next three years. So hang on and look out for those episodes. Uh, and along the way, I've been focusing on building a portfolio of passive investments that will, uh, within the next couple of years, totally pay for all of my costs of living. So if that sounds interesting to you and you think I'm worth a listen to, here's what I would do. Here's the three things I would do if I were a young associate or a young partner at a law firm. Number one, I would be stockpiling cash. I, everybody talks about having an emergency fund. I think that in normal markets, you probably don't need it because you can use your stock portfolio as a cushion if you have a high paying job. But in a market where you're worried about being laid off, I absolutely 100% would be focused on stockpiling cash. I would have at least three to six months of living expenses in a, in a cash account somewhere. Um, and in order to do that, if I didn't have it set up already, I would stop contributing to my 401k. Anything beyond the employer match, I would stop contributing to that. And I would stop making any additional student loan payments until I got to three to six months of cash. I think the reality is you need to be more worried in the immediate near future about not having any money coming in than you do about saving for the future. Uh, or, or, than you do about protecting yourself from debt. And so 
Number one thing I would do is stockpile cash. Let me tell you where I would put it also. I would start building a cushion in a separate account. So I really like having uh, online bank accounts that are different than the one that's tied to my debit card or my main checking account. I like having it a couple of days of transfer away so that I can't get to it if I'm in a cash crunch or I, I can't get to it like if I'm having a late night and trying to use my debit card somewhere. I like the fact that it's secure somewhere else. Um, after I built up a big enough bolus of that, I'd probably move it into T-bills. I would move it into treasuries because right now my savings account is only paying about 0.5% interest per year. But you can put it into three month treasury and get four point two percent, and so what's that? That's like a little bit more than eight times the rate that you're getting at a bank, and that's all the bank is doing anyway is buying treasuries with your 05 percent savings rate, and so that's what I would do is build up uh, a cash cushion first of all in a separate online bank that I couldn't touch um, immediately, and then I would begin to move that over into three month treasuries. Treasuries are, are actually pretty easy to buy. Uh, I bought a couple thousand dollars worth on fidelity just this week you don't have to go to treasury direct you can just buy t-bills straight through fidelity you don't have to participate in auctions it's really easy there's a video there i'm sure whatever brokerage you use has a similar video really really easy to do much better rate of return than your bank is giving you even on cds and and they're basically liquid like you can sell them if you need to um but if you're just starting out like probably a good idea to set up what's called a ladder buy one for one month, one for two months, one for three months. And then as you hit that one month, two month, now now you're going to go in and buy a three month cycle. And now you're going to have something that's maturing every month so that you have money that's there if you need it. Again, earning a higher rate of return than it would be just in a regular savings or even a money market account at your bank. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, I don't even know what I spend in a month, that's like a really good place to start is figuring that out And that can be as easy as just looking at three months of bank statements and seeing how much money has gone out. Um, As you get a little bit more sophisticated or if you're not trying to figure it out just like tonight, I like uh, the app Personal Capital, which tracks all of my spending, all of my investing. It tracks uh, all of the money that's coming back in. And then it lets me pretty quickly and easily categorize it on my phone so I know how much I'm spending on groceries, how much I spent on childcare, how much I spent on my mortgage. And I know month to month whether one of those things is is up or down. So get a good firm grasp on what your monthly burn rate is. And then I would be stockpiling like if I were aggressive and single, three months of cash. If I were married with kids, six months or more of cash, especially if I were a young associate. All right. Number two takes a little bit longer. Number two, I would be working on building my book of business and circling the wagons. If I were at a law firm, I would want to get as much client contact as I get. And by the way, this isn't like only for law firms. If you're at a financial services firm, this applies to you. If you're at like a creative firm, this applies to you. I think it applies to anybody that's got clients. Um, Anybody that's got clients in a job that you could do as freelance if you needed to do it as freelance. And I'm not telling you to take clients and and exit and do your own thing. But if I were in that position and I were co-working with somebody on clients, uh, on the same clients, I would want to have as much client contact as I could get. And I would want to be known as the guy who's giving white glove service to any of the clients. So if I were an associate on a case, I would be making sure that I got as close to that client as I could. And I'd want that client to think of me as their lawyer, because I probably am a little bit less busy than the junior or the senior partner who's on the case. 
and I probably have a little bit more time to be more personal, personable with this guy or girl than the partner does. So like, I would want to know things like what their kids' names are, what college they went to, what kind of sports they're into. I would want these people thinking of me as their lawyer. And I would do the exact same thing for all of my referral sources. So the world that's really easy for me to talk about is the world of personal injury law. So I'll talk about that. Uh, I would want to get one-on-one contact with chiropractors, physical therapists, doctors. I'd want to find out what their problems are and how I could solve them. And I'd want to do this all without saying a single word about myself because nobody cares about you. Like get over that. Number one, nobody cares about you. They care whether or not you can solve their problem, whether or not you can solve it faster than the competition and whether or not you can solve it in a way that puts more money in their pocket than the competition does. And you don't have to spend any money on this project. Um, For me, as I was starting to build my book of business one of the things that I did early on is I just, I made it a point to hand deliver all of the dispersal checks to chiropractors and physical therapists. Why did I do that? Because nobody else is doing it. <laughs> nobody thinks, nobody else was thinking about this personable relationship. They're just putting the check in the mail. And as you meet one-on-one with chiropractors, you learn that they, they view lawyers as a necessary evil. Like you have to be involved in their client's case so that they can have a lien so that they're guaranteed to get paid at the end of the case. But most lawyers in most cases are sending letters to the chiropractor after three or four months of work and asking them to take massive reductions in the bills. And so I wasn't doing that. And then I was hand delivering the bills and finding out what their problems were and solving those problems. So that was a way in which I very early on started to circle the wagons around my referral sources and make sure that if they had a problem, it was me they were calling. And that if, if I got let go from my firm, it was going to be me, uh, who they would go with. And, and I wouldn't have a problem where I'm out on my own and don't have a way to generate my own business because that's, what's happening to the lawyers, the young associates and to the young partners who are in these mega firms, the guys who are doing great work day in and day out, but don't have the tie to the client. They're the ones that get fired. They get fired in mergers. They get fired in in layoffs. If you have ties to clients and clients will follow you wherever you go, or referral sources or sources of money will follow you wherever you go, well, guess what? You have job security. And if you don't have job security, at least you have a way to make money when you get fired. So that's point number two, is making sure that you know how to generate business and making sure that the folks whose cases that you're working on think of you as the lawyer. And just as an aside, like I'm not talking about how to create your own business and run off and steal business from the firm that you're at. And if you're a law firm owner and you're listening to this and thinking, well, I don't want to share any of this with my, uh, with my staff, then I think that's foolish. And here's why you can only scale as a law firm in as much as you can trust people to do the work. And in as much as your clients trust people to do the work. So the more phone calls that I, as the managing partner of the injury section, have to answer, and the more times I have to get on the phone with a client, the less time that I have that freed up to do really big picture thinking, and that prevents us from scaling. So I've got to be in a position where I can trust my staff and my paralegals and my attorneys to have one-on-one conversations with the clients and to solve problems. And then it's my responsibility to make their lives as great as I can at my firm so that they don't leave and that they don't take clients with them. Anyway, all of that is a long-winded way of saying that you've got to know how to generate business or else you, you're you not going to have much job security. 
Number three, number three is my favorite. Um, uh, and I've been on this for a while is that I think that as a, as a lawyer, uh, and really as any kind of employee in a smaller entrepreneurial business, you need to stop negotiating salary increases and you need to start negotiating bonuses and percentages of cases. Um, when I was a, an associate, my salary stopped being increased, I don't know, four or five, maybe six years into the time that I was there. And instead I was making a, a healthy percentage of any case that came to the door and asked for me. So what did I do? I went out and found more cases to come to the door and ask for me. And by the end of my time there, I was making three times as much money as a bonus as I was as a salary. And so I was watching my other friends who were billing hourly coming to the end of the year and going, gosh, do you think I'm going to get one point or two points as my bonus this year? Uh, whereas I was going out and trying to grow the pie. And that's what I want my team to do is like, let's, let's go get a bigger pie. Let's not worry about what size slice we're going to have of the same pie from 2022 from 2021, like that's, uh, that's scarcity mentality. Let's have abundance mentality. I'll give you a big piece of any new business that you go out and find, but you've got to go out and find it. And here's how I think about that now as an owner of a law firm, big salaries are liabilities, big fixed salaries are liabilities, big bonuses based on generation of new business. Those are assets because I'm only paying them when there's new business coming through the door. What happens at a company when you've got to make a quick pivot and have to cut salaries? It's not all the little salaries that are getting cut. It's the big ones. It's the big bloated salaries that are outsized to the amount of business that you're generating, the amount of work that you're bringing in. In 2023, if you want to be an asset to your company and provide a safety net for yourself, I think you really need to be negotiating bonuses based on generation of business. So that's it. Those are my my three tips for somebody who's coming up in the world in 2023 and, and maybe facing the brink of another big recession. Number one, let's stockpile some cash. Let's put it to work for us. Number two, let's figure out how to generate some business. And number three, let's figure out how to get paid for it. Dude, if this resonates with you, I'd appreciate if you'd share it with somebody else. What I'm finding is that there's not a lot of lawyers who are my age, and I'm, I'm approaching 40, who are sharing tips and tricks and advice with people who are three, four, five, ten years behind them on the path. And the feedback that I'm getting is that this is helpful. So I, I hope this is helpful to you. I really don't think it's limited to lawyers. I think that this goes well into like financial services, creative services, design. Um, it's hard not to think of an industry that these things don't apply to. Stockpile money, figure out how to generate business, figure out how to get paid for it. None of this is revolutionary, but there aren't many people talking about it. Take care.